Hello, bonsoir and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples and joining me this evening are Adam White and Jeremy Smith. Are we past January already? 2019 is picking up the pace and Ligue 1 is doing just the same. So let's not delay with what is absolutely filled to the brim show this evening. And we'll have a little bit more highlights than the quote-unquote spectacle last night and straight into the latest headlines for you. On Friday, Lille flexed their muscles again as they brushed past Nice in a 4-0 win. Rafael Liao, Nicolas Pepe, Jonathan Bamba and Loic Remy all got on the score sheet while Patrick Vieira's men saw Pierre-Lise Melou sent off just before the end of play. On Saturday, Monaco finally got off the bottom of the well, the bottom two of the table in Leonardo Jardim's first league game back in charge of the club. The Monegasque saw off Toulouse 2-1 to win their first home game of the season, and now the club sit in the relegation playoff place on goal difference. Amiens. Uh, the team to drop below them after a 1-0 defeat to Rennes, while Dijon failed to pull further clear as they fell to the same scoreline at Angers. Reims are up to 7th after they won against hapless Marseille 2-1. Loem now drop to 11th but have a chance at quick redemption as they face Bordeaux at home in a rescheduled fixture tomorrow evening. On Sunday, both Saint-Étienne and Strasbourg and the game between Bordeaux hosting Gangom were postponed due to weather and policing availability, respectively. While Nolte's match with Com was already moved with Le Canary winning in a rearranged Coupe de France match that happened on Sunday against Entente 1-0. Montpellier failed to take advantage of Leverre's week off as they were held one all to Nîmes. And in the final game of the weekend, Paris Saint-Germain's unbeaten season has finally come to an end at the hands of their old adversaries, Lyon. Goals from Moussa Dembele and Nabil Fakir's penalty were enough to overcome Angel Di Maria's early strike to claim an ill-tempered 2-1 victory. Last week also saw the close of the transfer window with a flurry of deals in and out of Ligue 1. Yuri Tielemans has swapped Monaco for Leicester in a loan swap with Adrian Silva coming in the other direction. Leandro Paredes has finally completed his move to Paris Saint-Germain, while a number of other sides have bolstered their ranks ready for the second half of the season. And that's all for now, but to do keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this evening where else but the fact that Paris Saint-Germain have finally lost a Ligue 1 game. It's taken a good 20-odd attempts, Adam, but it was their old kryptonite that seems to always catch them out in Lyon, who always tend to raise their stakes in these kind of games. But it wasn't without controversy. And the main point, I think, to talk about is the penalty that does decide the game in the end. Some Paris Saint-Germain fans saying it's a bit soft and if it was Neymar, it wouldn't be given. What's your take on the decision that ultimately won Leon the game? Um, I'm surprised that <clears throat> there's been a little bit of sort of backlash against that decision from, well, perhaps unsurprisingly, from, from PSG fans. Um, but I, I thought it, was a, it wasn't the, the clearest of penalties, but I, I think it, it was a penalty. You know, those type of penalties are probably given sort of 60, 70% of the time. 
and Dembele is looking for it to some extent, but Silva impedes Dembele as he runs past him. He's getting nowhere near the ball. He may not intentionally trip him, but he does block him off and he and, and he does impede him enough for it to be a foul. It's, and it's a penalty for me. So I think that um, although um, you, know, you could argue all day whether over whether Neymar would give it or would be, would be given the same thing, I think he probably would almost definitely. Um, is is fine, but I think it's a penalty, and and it was a very much deserved penalty as well from from Leon's point of view. They'd created enough chances to be ahead by that point. And Jez, it, it was a, a somewhat tempestuous affair, as it always tends to be in these big games between, especially these two sides at the moment, really. And, and Leon have really had the the upper hand of it, but. <laughs> For example, it's, it's not necessarily going to ring alarm bells for Paris Saint-Germain, you know, nine days ahead of their important Champions League fixture as well. But it wasn't quite the, the classic performance. And it's a little bit more frustrating with the fact that it's Neymar that's the one who's, who was missing. And he's obviously out for 10 weeks now. Is there maybe still a worry that they maybe did do enough in January? Uh, yeah, I think there definitely is. Um, they, they certainly had their chances. And... It was, to an extent, a game of two halves. In the in the first half, PSG scored early, and then Ariola was almost sort of one man show, keeping Lyon out. And sort of kind of unfortunate that it was his slip that that um, helped Lyon to equalise. And then the second half, Lyon took the lead early, and it was all um, uh, for a lot of the rest of the match. It was Lopez keeping PSG out. So, had PSG nipped an equaliser, possibly. You could argue that a draw was a fair result. And, you know, they certainly, we know that they've got enough talent up front. And we saw it in, in flashes from, from Mbappe and Draxler and Di Maria to show that they're still going to cause Man United problems going forward. But in, in defence and, and at the moment, certainly in midfield, there, there definitely does seem to be um, areas where they're lacking and, and are missing Neymar and, and maybe even more so Verratti at the moment. And when you've got players like Alves and Marquinhos playing in midfield, I mean, it might be to an extent that um, Tuchel is trying to make a very elaborate point um, and you know, to, to help push, push Enrique out. But when they're playing in midfield, um, arguably when, when Kerr is playing at right back, it, it does feel a little bit like to an extent, Tuchel is kind of trying to fit square pegs into round holes. And it, it's not ideal if they're going to be, be facing Man United like that. And um, yeah, that, that, that there are issues with the, with the transfer window. And you know, I think it's quite clear that part of the problem is, is within the UK. But I do also think this is a, a problem that's sort of been, been coming for years and still, I think, borne out by the fact that they wasted... 400 million on, on both Neymar and Mbappe when they when they weren't needed, which kind of restrained them a little bit FFP-wise. But they should still have enough about them to do better than they are. And the very first thing I would do, I think, is is bring Adrian Rabiot back into the fold. Um, I've said before, I think PSG have, have overdone it. And whereas a lot of people think Rabiot's burnt, burnt his bridges there, I wonder if maybe PSG had now, but the fact is he is, is on his day a very, very passing midfielder. And I think that last night shows that they do still miss him. Certainly with Verratti out, they miss that class out and out midfielder in the centre. And you know, even if it means swallowing a bit of pride, I really think it would improve their chances against United if he came back in. 
Yeah, it's it'd be interesting to see because we we heard that all the stories that Tuchel wants him back in the fold really, and that they were looking at an extra midfielder. They got Paredes in the in the end, but they were still looking at Guy. They were even looking at. Uh, I remember seeing Maximilian um, Eggerstein being another player that they looked at, which makes a lot more sense. More of a box to box style player, similar to to Rabiot, that would have fit the style at least. Anyway, but the interesting point from this one, I, I think, Adam, that some people have not, maybe not spoken about yet, is obviously Paris Saint-Germain's undefeated record has gone now in the league after after 21 games now. And while they're, they're only 10 points ahead of Lille, but I don't think that's in any worry, especially with two games in hand. But I suppose the other worry really is is for Tuchel now that that unbeaten record has gone. Is it maybe going to be a little bit difficult to motivate the players for, for league on games, especially once we head towards sort of the March sort of fixtures when they, when it's all done and dusted? Is there still going to be a competitive PSG on the field in France or, or is that going to be one of the hurdles that Tuchel's going to have to face? Um, it's a really interesting question. I think it's a question that has dogged previous <clears throat> PSG managers and arguably managers of Bayern Munich and, and of Juventus as well, in, where in, in those in Italy and Germany, I it's, it goes a little bit under, under not underreported, but underplayed sometimes that there are very similar situations in each of the three countries. And I, I think that, yes, PSG uh, comfortably clear um, uh, in Ligue and this season and have been a number of times of late as well. And that's happened in, in Italy and Germany too. And all three of those teams have struggled from the fact that, well, I think, I think it's maybe I should say they've definitely struggled from it, but you could argue that the lack of intensity having been so far ahead in the, in, in the league, especially, you know, Bayern Munich under Pep Guardiola was, was a really good example, and aside from PSG, um, that they've, they've struggled from that lack of intensity, that lack of consistent intensity when it comes to the Champions League. And they, they play latter round Champions League games against teams who are flat out every week, which or may have negatives of its own in terms of intensity and in terms of you know tiredness and fatigue but it does give you an extra edge if you're if you're fighting for wins week in week out um compared to a team that perhaps even you could even argue even this weekend that PSG knew that it, it wasn't a game that had much bearing on their season at all even though Leon are huge rivals and they, they would have wanted to beat them the way they they went about the game the individual performances the individual personas and, and attitudes towards the game it felt like that they they didn't really take it as seriously as they might if there was two points between them and Leo as opposed to 10 and and that lack of intensity feeds into those bigger Champions League games you come against team up against team who are sharper than you and in in such fine such, such fine margins count in such big and such they're sort of closely contested uh, games at the top level and PSG are a team that has suffered from that so maintaining intensity is something that number of coaches at, at Paris have struggled to, to, to master and have brought up in press conferences and mentioned a number of occasions I remember Laurent Blanc was one that re repeatedly mentioned the fact that they have to maintain the intensity and ferocity and aggressiveness in their play and he, he didn't really find a way to do it perhaps there, there kind of isn't if you're not you know without the actual the actual fear of defeat, the actual fear of losing your title, you can't play in, in exactly the same way as you would, you know, otherwise. So uh, it's a very, very difficult conundrum. And, and obviously there are benefits to it. You can rest players, you can be fitter, you can be you can be healthier potentially, you can guard against injuries better. But perhaps that's less important these days when all the players are so fit anyway. So that intensity becomes becomes one of those things that can tip a Champions League game, a semi-final, quarter-final, one way or the other. And PSG perhaps... Have, have suffered from that in the past and Tuchel's going to have to find a way to get around it again and, and no one's managed it so far so it's, it's going to be an extremely difficult thing to, to master. 
As for Leon, really, Jez, it, it feels like it's a, a surprise, but it's not always a surprise because they've done really well in these games against Paris Saint-Germain over the past sort of, two seasons, really. But I suppose the frustration for a lot of Lego fans, and you hear this a lot, is that Genesio's sides seem to always pull out these performances against the top three, four sides, but it seems to go missing against those games where they should be winning. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not that it's a, it's not that it's not a surprise that they play well against PSG. It's that it's become completely unsurprising that they raise the games against all the better teams and then tend to go missing in the in the matches that you expect them to to win quite comfortably. Um, and yeah, that's that's the frustration. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's Genesio being unable to motivate them. I don't know if it's players like Depay who's suddenly thinking Sunday night against PSG, televised all around the world. I'm back in the shop window, so I'll try a bit harder. I'm not sure what it is, but um, it's you know, it mu- for Leon fans, it must be kind of very satisfying watching a performance like that, and very frustrating that Leon aren't you know comfortably second and maybe even challenging for the title rather than still sort of clinging on to, to Lille's coattails. Um, look at the players they've got and if there are still a lot of their kind of go-to players, to be fair, are still quite young and it's still not the strongest defence in the world, but it's still on their day a, a quality team as they showed yesterday, even with an arguably Awaran and Dombele, two of their most impressive players, possibly, I'd argue, not even at their best. Um, the fact that they can play like that, yeah, is, is, is frustrating because, yeah, the bottom line is they should be doing better than they are. And the one big positive, I think, Adam, for, for a lot of Leon fans is that they've been looking for sort of a central striker that really worked after Mariano's departure and they thought they might have someone in, in Moussa Dembele who had obviously done very well at Celtic and was rumoured to be going here, there and everywhere really and he's eventually turned up at Lyon. It's never really quite clicked but this game in particular, he grabs the goal, he gets the penalty, he's probably unlucky he doesn't nick a second as well near the end of the game as well with a great chance for himself but this felt more like a game where he's almost like he's coming out party in France, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was a game that sort of underlined what, uh, what, what sort of a effective forward Dembele can be and you're absolutely right he's had a had a bizarre sort of Leon career so far in that there are so many games when you felt like in the Champions League and perhaps in, in games similar to this in in France where this is the game that Dembele is suited for you know he, he could cause the centre-backs issues there's going to be a bit more space for him um and and as he as he proved yesterday he's very capable of of scoring goals and and putting himself you know about defenders and, and causing issues and Thiago Silva was who I thought was really poor yesterday um, couldn't handle him at times, um, but you're right. He's, he's he's even missed out on the squad previously. He's coming off the bench. He, he came off the bench something like eight or nine games in ten or eleven before this one, where there were th- before three starts, which was the last one was last night. So he's definitely not first choice by any means, but still only 22. He's still developing, and he's clearly very talented. So hopefully this is sort of an upward curve for him. But but for Genesio, I think the issue with Dembele isn't necessarily whether he's good enough to start for Leon in big games. It's it's more about balance of the side in general because if you start Dembele, you've got the issue with with Fakir and Depay, and Memphis Depay has proven that he can be pretty woeful or wide on the left or wide on the right in particular. Um, 
but is far more effective through the middle. And the same goes for Fakir, not necessarily woeful out wide, but definitely far better through the middle. So it's Dembele has almost been a bit of the full guy and he's been sacrificed for it to allow one of those players to start in a central position because they're perhaps a bit more experienced, perhaps more proven. And arguably, despite Dembele's flashes of good form, they've both been in better, better form of late overall. Um, and are arguably are more important to the team as it stands, even if Dembele is, is playing like he did last night. Although, obviously, he does that consistency, that'll change. But I, I think he's almost a little bit, um, sort of his his sort of exclusion from the eleven is a product of circumstance rather than his own abilities or or his his relationship with Genesio or anything like that. So I think that, yes, he's he can, you know, fit the, fit the bill in, in this sort of game, but... There's going to be there needs to be some sort of rejigging in that Leon eleven because someone's going to have to miss out and at the moment it's Dembele more often than not which which makes sense but keep this form up and and he'll be pushing others out of the team pretty soon. Yeah, great to see him um, sort of get more involved. He obviously grabbed the goal and important one in the derby a couple of weeks ago as well. So mm. it's good to see him start to finally find his feet and find his. Uh, position in the team and on to further news because we've got, we've got plenty to get through tonight and another big one is that Monaco are finally out of the bottom three uh, the bottom two sorry after um, spending two months in that bottom zone they're now in the relegation playoff zone but it does give them a bit more freedom and a bit more confidence having got that win Jez against the difficult ball what could have been a tricky game against Toulouse and they've not won a single game at home so every game at home at the moment has been tricky and they rode their luck at times Toulouse had a couple of good chances hit the post late on as well but um, they just look a little bit more and it was the same in the Gangon game before the red card as well really that although obviously they went out on penalties eventually in that cup game but they just feel a little bit more I don't know adventurous they, they, there's a little bit of a spark of creativity that they've missed and especially in someone in Gelson Martins who, who's got the two assists again he got a cup an assist in the cup game he just added the spark that they needed uh yeah and i i mean for me i know not everyone agrees with this but for me it's definitely about the players that have come in more than jardim and as i said before and i still feel very strongly that monaco and particularly jardim have acted really shittily and i really feel sorry for Ari. i don't think he was given a fair chance um, but yeah, but, you know, when you've got players like Fabregas who, who've come in and now had a few games, and Lopez is is back to sort of um, full fitness, that that's obviously going to make a big difference. And Martins has, has really hit the ground running. I, I have to admit, I hadn't seen much of him before. I looked at clips of him. To be fair, I didn't look at sporting clips. I was looking at clips of him at Atletico, and the. the for the most part, it looked like if there, if there was a cul-de-sac to run into, he would find it and run into it. And I wasn't impressed at all. But you can't argue with sort of three and a half assists in, in two matches. And um, yeah, it's just, a, I guess, a, a different kind of player, just, you know, real fast, direct runner who's, who's given them a, a different a different angle, I guess, a kind of plan B. And um, so far, so good. I mean, I did see elements of an upturn and I know not everyone did but it did in January and I do think there was a, there was a run of, of bad luck um but as, as I said I think last week it, it's just the case of getting that first win you can relax a little bit more and then um push on from there they've got that as you said it was a sketchy win I don't think it was a particularly good performance I don't buy the um the, the GFFN tweet 
about, you know, look at the difference in team spirit. I mean, they were celebrating the fact that they finally won a match at home. I don't think that's anything to do with Jardim sort of um, reinvigorating the, the team and spirit within the team. I think anyone would have reacted like that. But they've made that start and now now it's it's for them to, to push on. And that's the important thing now, uh, Adam, it is for them to, to push on. But there's, there's other small positives, really, in this game. Uh, Golovin has uh, grabbed a couple of goals now as well, and uh, especially at the back as well. They, they've been a little bit better. But the, uh, more importantly is, is the return of, of Subash. She was sort of maybe a little bit ostracised for, I suppose, reasons just about unknown for us at least anyway the relationship with Henri maybe wasn't the greatest that's that's sort of forced him out but he made a a couple of important saves at the weekend and again his his leadership and and how good a goalkeeper he can be will be an important factor in in their turnaround yeah absolutely um i think super is an odd one because um he was fantastic the season that they that they won the league and he really dropped off he was one of the players to really drop off uh, at one point and was was i remember against i remember a game against Troyes where he made two massive errors and and for two goals i think they still won that game three two but um that that that's really stuck in my mind as, as pretty sort of characteristic of his form in in the season following their their, their title win and you had a bit of a, a sort of I don't want to say second coming, but like a rejuvenation at the World Cup. He was he was pretty good at the World Cup, and um, that that I, I will struggle to forget that save he made from Harry Kane in the semi final was virtually on the post, um, and there were a number of instances like that. And and if if they can keep him fit, he's been really injured this season. He's had two long injuries, um, and if they can keep him in form, then he's he's one of the best keepers in league and without without doubt. We've seen some really good goalkeeping performances from Ariola and. And Anthony Lopez yesterday, but he's not too far behind or at his best, Supercic. So he's potentially a, a really, really, a really, really useful goalkeeper and, and a leader as well. I think the thing with Monaco is that you know this season we talked about a lot on the pod, but the, the way that their transfer policy switched from signing sort of developing players who'd got some first team experience, um, who were ready for first team football at Monaco, to signing very, very young players who weren't really teenagers. Really, they they needed. Um, players like Supertich to be on form and in the team to guide those very, very young players through. And they sort of diminished with the sale of Jet Jamotinho and and one or two others. And it was sort of Camel Glick, Radamel Falcao, and then about 10 or 12 or 15, um, 16, 17, 18 year olds. And Supertich is one of those guys that can that can instruct and, and lead and, and guide his team through a for a game and, and when you've got someone like um, Badashile in front of you who's, who's only 17, okay, he's got Nado and Camel Glick in there too who can help, but that he, he, Supercic would be huge for a player like him and his development. So potentially Supercic is, is great for the for the side. Just hope he can keep keep fit and keep in form. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, it's also interesting to see what's happened off the pitch. And we'll come on to sort of a, a more rounded transfer news later. But I, I do want to sort of talk about Monaco's business in the window, at least in the last couple of days as well, uh, Jez. They've had a couple of outgoings, a couple of ingoings, and it's 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 interesting to see what's happened both ways, really. I mean, Adrian Silva hasn't had the greatest time in, in Leicester, but if he's Portuguese, I'm assuming that um, Leonardo Jardim has a little bit of knowledge about his, his previous when he was at, at Sporting. And, and Kudu returns to our shores, really, with, from Tottenham after a loan spell at Burnley last season that didn't really do much either. And, and yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I've not heard much of Vinicius, the uh, the uh, Napoli player, but outgoings as well. Ait Benesir was a pretty useful player at the start of the season as well. Uh, Berek has gone. Uh, Almami Torres left for, uh, for uh, 
Eintracht Frankfurt. They've got Yuri Tillemans going out as well. Who reports that um, Jardim didn't really fancy him. It's again a lot of upheaval. I mean, looking at the list now, there's been eight players gone, and uh, eight players coming in the opposite direction. That's that's a lot of business on 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 a January window, isn't it? And a lot of upheaval for this start, this sort of stage of a season. Yeah, usually um, we, we sort of joked before that um, at the end of the summer transfer window on the LFP page and the transfer page, you get you sort of scroll through it, and for most teams, there's you know a little a little passage, and then for Monaco, you're scrolling, scrolling for ins and outs, um, but you wouldn't expect it in January, and the fact that there's been so much, um, as I said, upheaval there this month, um, you know, I think is. A clear sign that a clear sort of admission that their their sun their summer recruitment policy was was pretty poor and, and they're trying to sort it out. The, the concern obviously is that they're doing more of the same. Um, I think that the players that they're bringing in are a little bit more experienced. Um, you know, now okay, he's had those two red cards, but until then, and I still maintain the first one was a disgraceful decision. He he had. Looked like he did look like he was bringing a bit more solidity. Fabregas, you know, is a classy player. Um, as you said, um, I think Silva could, could be a, a good signing. Um, <laughs> and Kudu, <laughs> I bumped into a Spurs fan at the weekend and, and he was he was in fits and thought it was hilarious that someone had actually taken, taken him off, off Spurs' hands. But um, I think a lot of the transfers are. are Maybe Jardin making making his mark. You wonder why he didn't have the sort of sway after everything he did at Monaco to have been able to do that in the summer. But you know, by all accounts, Tielemans has been very disappointing, but possibly is a bit of a scapegoat for the fact that uh, Jardin was furious that Moutinho was sold without his permission. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a it's a big turnover, and and I mean, Toure I've always liked, but it just the last two three years, I think mainly because of injuries, he hasn't pushed on. So, you know, a couple of signings, a couple of moves like that, it makes sense that they've gone possibly for Monaco and for the player. Just you know, it hasn't worked out, and maybe it will do them both good to to sort of go their separate ways. But it's it's still playing a risky game. I think that. Monaco have brought in enough quality, right? To and more importantly, I think with players like Subasic coming back, like Lopez especially, even Falcao's had injury niggles for for part of the season. Uh, I I still think they probably would have been okay anyway. But I think they just brought in those two or three players, Backer as well, even though he got he got his um sort of requisite early sending off. Um, that that they should be okay, but. It still, even this month, feels a lot like there's there's been a little bit too much, you know, just chucking players out and bringing any random players in. And I'm not entirely sure that some great thought has gone into a lot of the signings that have been made. And I just feel they'll survive this year despite the two transfer windows and not thanks to either of them. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it just feels like that upheaval can sometimes be just as bad as it can be. Good shifting some of those players out, even if they were a little bit um, not quite um, Jardim's cup of tea, but we've seen it at least 
positive for now, but whether it carries on is the important thing. And if it does, um, I'm sure Jardine will be vindicated with the sort of upheaval he's caused, as much as restarted really more than anything. Uh, on to a bit, another big result. And usually in these games, in the in the big wins, we sort of focus on the team that should have won the game. But I, I want to focus on the team that, that got the victory, first of all, Adam, in Rams, because... We do have this tendency to go for the the uh, the team that's lost it and the sort of the, the crisis mode sort of uh, mood of, of things first. But I just wanted to mention that Rats have, have got seventh in the table. Um, in their last ten games, they've lost just one, and uh, yes, a fair few of them are draws. I think around about five of them are draws. But they're or in that run. There's games against Lille, two against Marseille, and one against Lyon, and they've not lost against any of them um, and they've got a terrific defence one of the best records in, in Liga I think they've got the second best record it might have gone to the third after the weekend I'm not 100% certain just checking and they are third yeah Montpellier are just above them and they have got a better defensive record than Lille but what a tremendous season they're having and yet again they just keep proving the odds wrong and from the team that we pretty much thought was going to be bottom at the start of the season, they've had a truly tremendous season. They're not going down. And if anything, they, they might sneak into Europe. Yeah, it'd be great, wouldn't it, if they did manage to sneak into Europe. I think I think that they're one of my they're one of my sort of favourite teams. Not I, to, I hesitate to say to watch because they're not exactly the most sort of expansive or exciting teams to watch, but they're, they're, they're one of the most interesting kind of tactically. And I think David, David Guion is deserves a huge amount of credit. And I think I, I've said on on the point before, but they may not have, as you mentioned there, they might not quite have the best defensive record as in conceding the, low, the least amount of goals, but they have the best defence as in given the, their, their position as a team, their, their relative standing to the other clubs, you know, PSG are always going to concede less goals than them, their PSG. But the way that rounds go about their business, the way how compact and solid they are, they are how consistent that back four is and how how well drilled they all are is 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 unbelievable really and that some of the results they get you know, the draw at marseille okay marseille are marseille's philosophy is to just give it to florin tuban and hope he can win in the game but e even so they 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 got that nil draw with ease and we're, we're, we're pretty comfortable in, in that and a number of other games where they've got some really really good results but um i think that David Guion should be should be sort of in the running for 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 sort of manager of the of the season. We talked about Sergio uh, Sergio Plissier, Christophe Plissier, um last season and doing a similar job. But this is this is quite a long-standing thing with Guion, and he came in and couldn't keep runs up when they when Toulouse and Dupraz stayed up. And uh, De Zakarin came in when they got relegated. They only finished what's eight to think in, in Ligue 2. And Guion, who's who's been their youth team coach and their sort of academy director of quite some time fair few years sort of assume the assume the role and the, the 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 team that he's built very carefully from knowing the youth players you know bringing through players like Matthew Cathro who's who came from Toulouse but he's a young player um, and a number of others uh Romy Udan in particular has done really well this season um and then sort of fantastic scouting you look at uh, Justin Conan who came in from from Vittoria Guimaraes really left field signing and for me has been one of the best fullbacks in the league he'll be missed for the rest of the season with with injury, you know, repurposing players like Yunus Abdul Hamid, who is out of favour at Dijon, not playing at all, and dropped down to to to, to League Deux with France and was brilliant last season. And it's and it's him and Bjorn Engels, who was really good in, in Belgium with Bruges and didn't really work out at Olympiacos, but um those two players have formed a, a fantastic partnership. And it's just sort of the way he's got all these sort of different elements of youth and legal experience in terms of Alexis Romau and League Deux experience and 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 
players that perhaps are more expensive but sort of repurposing into, into different roles into to rejuvenating them it's the way he's got it all to gel is, is brilliant and you could argue that this this transfer window has been another really successful one Baba Raman's a really good replacement for for Conan and for a club like Rons and um Arbizinelli who's coming from he's a Kosovan midfielder who's coming from or wide left sort of winger coming from from Heronvane looks like a fantastic player audience double figures for assists in, in Holland this season so they just they just keep building this team very quietly but very astutely and and Guion is is the man um, at the head of it so I think he's done an amazing job and one that perhaps extends far beyond just this season yeah absolutely I, I already jumped on the Arbizanelli bus last week uh, last week on our, <laughs> our pod, so, uh, it, it, should people want to join me soon enough while Rance are slowly climbing up the table they absolutely are welcome to but I thought I would leave the, the bones of, of Marseille really to, for you to pick Jez because now it's it gets from bad to worse to even even more dire at times for them. They're obviously out both cup competitions now as well as Europe. They're 11th in the league now, which is almost unfathomable, you would think, at the start of the season. You could think that Marseille would be anywhere near that sort of position at this stage of the season. And they've got, like I said in the news, they've got a chance of redemption because a win against Bordeaux in that game in hand really puts them back into seventh. And they, it doesn't look too bad. They're still only three points behind Setienne at that point. But if they don't win that game, it just gets, it just adds to the misery that in this game, again, they just didn't perform at the level we expect from them. Yeah, from memory, is it this fixture that Marseille haven't won since like 1977 or something? <laughs> and I think practically almost all of their, their sort of first teamers or certainly their, their big game players are out. I think Gustavo's just been ruled out, Payet, Tovin already out. So it, even going into this match, even sort of between the, the last match and, and this match, things have gone a little bit more wrong for them. And it's it's difficult to, to, to see them picking something up from this. There's, it's everything that we've discussed before. You look at, you look at their team and you know, it's, or their squad and it, it's admittedly, it's probably not a top three team. You know, I know that was the, the kind of hope at the start of the seasons or pushing on from last year, but there's, there's no way that team should be languishing in 11th place either. And it just feels that they're in some kind of downward spiral. I don't know if it is that Garcia, you know, but there isn't talk of him having lost the, lost the changing room, but it doesn't. It doesn't seem that the players are playing for him. Um, <coughs> we've discussed so many times before that playing Gustavo in, in defence doubly cripples you because you're taking away your best midfielder and putting a non-defender in defence. Um, Camaro's looked so so promising. It looks quite lost this season, I think. Amavi has lost all form. I think Strutman has been disappointing. Um, and for me, with the best one in the world, or Campos, he runs hard, he tries hard. You can understand why Marseille fans love like him, but he's just—I uh, don't think he's, he's really good enough. And it's just again, we touched on it with PSG earlier. But as as much as players have been underperforming, as much as Mondando looks off his best, Payet looks disinterested, Tovan looks a little bit increasingly selfish. There's, there's talk that he's a bit obsessed with his own personal stats. Um, you have to look higher up, and they 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 basically bought no one. I mean, you know, there's, there's the, the the two. I think they're both Croatians that have 
you know, Radonjic at least is getting getting a couple of starts now and is looking like he's got a bit of promise, but Kaleta Saar has been you know, a big flop. Um, and they just they didn't deal with the, the the clear needs that they had at the start uh, before the start of the season during the summer transfer window, which was you know, decent, at the very least decent centre back and decent centre forward. And they brought Balotelli in, but we we know that that's a sort of really high stakes game that can go it will go one extreme or the other. Um, he started well, but he didn't look great. Um, apart from one really good free kick, he, he did practically nothing against against us. And I I expect them at some point to pick up a little bit, but they've given themselves a lot to do, and they should be. You know, challenging. I think for they should have been challenging for Champions League, and if not relatively comfortable, a candidate for the UEFA place, um, UEFA sorry, UEFA place. And it looks like they're they're going to fall short of both. And with all the big talk about um, the Champions project and with pushing on from a really good um, last season. You know, in the end, slightly unlucky to be picked for a Champions League place in the league and obviously get into the Europa League final. This season has just been a massive disappointment and you know, I, I do think there's blame at all levels from, from the board to the coach to, to the team as well. And You can certainly understand why, why the fans are so annoyed. And I suppose that what's adding to the annoyance, uh, Adam, is that guns are sort of pointing everywhere, really, but no one can pull a trigger. It's, it's like everyone's got got blanks in their guns, really. They, they can't really fire the coach because they don't want to really pay off Garcia. And he, he has shown that he's got a good aptitude, the, but he doesn't want to be too spiky to the players because, like Jess says, they don't have the depth, really, to, to do anything like that. And the board's taking flack from the, from the fans, but you can only... I suppose do so much with what what you've got really, Marseille, in terms of actually attracting players in, and uh, they managed to get Balotelli, and he still can't really play ninety minutes according to to Garcia as well. Although he has sorted out that haircut, which was nice to see really on the weekend. That was one thing that's that's at least going right for Marseille. But uh, the rest of it, it just feels like a very similar scenario in a different position to Monaco in the sense that. A couple of wins changes everything again because then they're back in third, back in fourth. If if result, other results go their way, but at the same time, because you're higher up in the table, it's 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 much harder to just rely on that. And then if they're going into sort of April, May without a chance at Europe, they they have to look at insanely and evaluate things. And surely something must happen. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think there's an inter- I think there's an interesting comparison with Monaco there as well in that it's it's. That they've they've fallen away in a very similar kind of way. It's it's just it's just a it's just a mess at Marseille. It's just it's, it's an absolute mess. And I know that they, they've slipped down to tenth in the league, which which perhaps it doesn't mean too much at the moment, but given that you know they're still only what four points off a potential European place, so it's not disastrous as yet. But given that this team is the same team that made the Europa League final, it, you have to say that there there's something beyond the 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 quality of the team that that is is affecting their displays because they at points last season they're genuinely really good you know that's after christmas last season when they're really on, on form they 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 they're playing well and Tuven and Pirate are both playing well they were great in the last stage of the europa league as well they're, this may be you know qualified by the fact that that's kind of down to florian Tuven and Dimitri Pirate both being on form and when they're not marseille have no other ideas apart from giving the ball and if they don't if they're not on form then nothing really much happens but 
it's such a drop off that there has to be something outside the just the sheer quality of the team. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think it, it has to come back to Garcia, doesn't it? And I, I, I would argue, like Jess was mentioning, you know, it does feel like he's the, the dressing room and, and uh, isn't playing for him. He, the, he, the, his players aren't playing for him. I think Pye even mentioned at a press conference a few weeks ago that you know, yeah, that he sort of said, yeah, the, the atmosphere is bad. We were losing games. You know, we can't really, we can't do anything about that. That's just, you know, it's, it really isn't great. And their form is 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 so bad. It goes under it goes under the radar a little bit, but. They've won twice since mid-November in the league. They beat Amion 3-1. And since then, I think that Con game they won a couple of weeks ago is their, their next league win. And that, that's going on for sort of 15-odd games in all competitions. Um, it's it's just incredible. Um, so I, I think it's 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 this season is, if it keeps going like this, it's almost write it off and start again next summer. But have they got the money to do that? Yeah, it's, it's just a mess, really. Yeah, like like we say, while they've got something, it, it becomes more difficult to see how you, how you sort of fix it from from where they are. Um, on to the the transfer window now, because like we've mentioned a moment ago, there's plenty of comings and goings, and even on the final day they were still motoring when we thought it might be quite quiet in league, and it sort of oh, still all went off. Uh, going through sort of all the teams really, uh, starting at the very top alphabetically, of course, is Amiel. Um, they've let a couple. Go really, it's mainly on loan and Ganto's experiment really uh, worked in one way in terms of the getting shirt sales, but other than that, it's not really happened at all for them, Jez. But there a couple of interesting loan signings in there Eric Peters and Sergio Garassi. Garassi's not really done much at Cologne, but Peters has got Premier League experience, a solid left back defensively, if not offensively, which maybe suits Amion as well. But uh, an interesting move for the Dutchman and an interesting move from the, from the club as well. Yeah, I mean, I think Amiens went over a little bit a story of um, sort of back and forth, and and you know the fact that Ganzo and Kazawa left is, I guess, also a bit of an admission that their their summer policy wasn't great. And the problem is that they're not Marseille; they don't they're not going to make as many transfers, and and it's more important that that they get theirs right. And it's it's not surprising that that they're also struggling at the bottom. Um, and I think it's a real pity that they didn't bring Kuta back in. They tried very hard, and you know he was such a great player for them, and he was there. So um, that that could have been a real boost. But yeah, I think Peters, as, as you said, he's got good experience and should bring a bit of solidity. Girassi has always been talked about as a talented player, but has never quite sort of reached his potential. So you know, <laughs> arguably not to the same extent, but that was how a lot of people spoke about Kakuta. So you know, maybe Amiens is quite a nice place for him to to sort of come back into French football and. and to, uh, kind of find his feet and, and begin to sort of remake a name for himself. But uh, the, the concern is that they've probably done as much as they can, but the worry is that um, they weren't able to, to bring in enough enough players to, to maybe save them from the drop the way things are going. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? They maybe needed uh, one or two more. Uh, looking at um, another side that's done some business, Angers, for, sort of, we'll skip over. They've not really done too much, really. A couple of loans out and a couple of uh, players that may add a little bit to them, but nothing major. But Bordeaux have, have done a, a bit of interesting business, really. I, don't, I mean, uh, we'll come on to Varda later because he's, he's joined Saint-Étienne and they've done some interesting moves. But Le Rage, he's got to, gone alone to, to Genoa. He wasn't really 
necessarily getting the game time. Pelinar has gone on uh, to uh, Angers as well. But uh, again, adding to the magic move that was the interesting one from Sunderland last week, they've uh, they've signed Adli from Paris Saint Germain, who <laughs> PSG fought hard in the summer to keep him really from the midst of, of Premier League interest and uh, other European interest. So it, it in some ways would seem like a coup for Bordeaux, but at the same time for PSG to be so willing to let him go six months later, uh, I do, do understand that they, they're, they've got a hefty sell-on fee and a potential buyback clause even in the deal. But it, it seems like a strange one to allow him to go away so quickly. Yeah, it is a surprise given that they were really keen on him not going to Arsenal in the summer. Um, and he was quite close to that move. And he's been—he's a player at PSG that's been highly thought of for some time. He's been in and around their their UEFA Youth League team and in, in France underage teams. And he's—he's—he's he's, he's supposedly a very very talented player. And the flashes I've seen with him, he's, he's looked really good. Uh, um, but it's 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 for Bordeaux. It's kind of a sign of their new their new ownership. You know, they've been officially bought out by the those the American uh, sort of consortium. Uh, last couple of months, and the, it's clear that their policy is going to be sign young. Well, it, it's, it's it's hardly a surprise because that's it's sort of the thing that's come to characterise quite a few teams. But they're they're going to spend money on on younger players like Adley with potential to 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 develop and to be sold on at a profit. Um, and he, you know, him and Madger are two players that, given the Arsenal interest in the summer, and given that Madger is is English, you know, Premier League clubs would pay a lot of money for both those two players in eighteen months' time if. Badger's got 10, 12 league goals at this point in the next season or, or Adley's in the team and playing really well. Um, you know, they, they could go for, for four or five times what they what they paid for them. So it, it's, it's sort of a sign of that. They're edging towards that that kind of policy of, of that Monaco made successful and that Nice kind of made successful. Although there, there needs to be balance in there too, as Nice and Monaco have both found out recently. But it's sort of an edge, edging in that direction. But yeah, I, I think I'm really excited to see Adley get some games. I think he could be a really good addition. And going a little bit beyond him, Tomo Basic has got a few games recently. He's a, they signed from from Croatia, a 22-year-old midfielder. He looks good as well. So there's got a potential for an exciting team if it all coalesces. But whether it will, it's obviously a very big sort of question mark. Absolutely. One deal that's going to interest English fans because it did go through and I, I suppose I almost campaigned for someone to try and get him during this window because it, it did seem like a, a great deal. But he's coming back on loan to France to, to finish off the season anyway. And that's Frederick Gilbert of, of Caen. He's been a steady performer for a while. Jazz. Uh, it's interesting that he's going to, to Aston Villa. And it's also quite interesting that they've allowed him to sort of return on loan. It may have been part of the agreement with Con to even get him in the first place, but uh, potential there for, for a real steal for, for Villa as they um, try and fight their way back to the Premier League. And if, even if they are a championship team next season, he's exactly the kind of good budget signing that they can get in to boost their uh, promotion chances next season as well. Yeah, it was the, the reaction to the, to the transfer from, from Con fans and Villa fans is quite funny because it was sort of mixed for, for various different reasons. I think Villa were quite pleased to bring this player in, but the fact that you know, he's, he's mostly a right back, and, and I saw quite a few saying, "Why the hell are we bringing in another right back? We're desperately need a left back, and, and what's the point of signing him now?" But, but you know, not having him with us to sort of make a bit more of a, of a transfer push. And Car fans were kind of relieved that at least they have him for the rest of the season, but were were a bit were a bit annoyed about the, the price that we went for. And I have to say, I, I agree with them. I think. Um, Five million euros, I think it was, is, is a complete steal. I think he's an, he's an excellent player. Um, another of those, those 
solid league out players are going a little bit under the radar and actually a bit undervalued and underrated. And um, I think they have got a great signing there. And I'm, I'm slightly surprised that, you know, obviously it depends on, on who came in with offers, but um, I'm surprised that having made the transfer to English football, it wasn't too, um, to the Premier League team, because I do think he has the quality to play at the highest level, but, you know, possibly he's, he's taken this sort of kind of a, a, a Pavar approach and to take a step down in order to then work my way up. Um, obviously, you know, everyone knows that the Villa are a little bit of a sleeping giant who shouldn't really be in the championship and, uh, based on the size of the club that they are. And, and you know, maybe he's seeing that um, this way he can sort of acclimatise the English football and, and, and maybe help them with a, with a promotion push next season. Yeah, absolutely. And even if they, the, I think the real positive of this move as well, and I think you agree, Jess, is if, if they do somehow sneak into the playoffs and, and manage to get through and back into the Premier League, Gilbert is someone that will work just as well if they are a Premier League team next season as if they're a Championship team. It's not like uh, he, his quality will be diminished in the top league as well, which is why, especially €5 million, Euros, but it's, it's a crazy signing. There were all rumours that Con were looking around that amount, and I, I couldn't believe more teams weren't. Weren't interested in him because I think that's a real steal. Um, looking further down the list, at Dijon of Vladio and Gorkov to leave on a and sort of rescinded his contract. So maybe him uh, might be sort of the last contract he has. It's going to be difficult to see where he fits back in the Liga. Gangob have done a fair few moves uh, as of Lille, Marseille. We've, we've spoke about uh, Monaco and Montpellier in the past because Montpellier did their business very early, but not especially. Um, uh, Adam, they brought some players in on loan, sort of in the last couple of days, at least. Anyway, they allowed Matt Miyazaga to, to go back to Miyazaga, sorry, to go to, back to Chelsea. He's now on loan at, at Reading back in England. But a couple of interesting loan signings in Edgar EA who, who, of Lille, who, who had done okay in his first season, has sort of drifted very dramatically since then. But also the return of Valentin Eseric to these shores from Fiorentina as well had, had a decent spell back in France. It was a surprise he went to such a team, but uh, uh, not maybe reinforcing a little bit where they need to but the back in, in, in a bit of a creative role in midfield as well. Yes, indeed. Um, I think, you know, uh, Vahid Halahodzic said recently he needed a lot of players and you know, they, their squad has been looking pretty thin recently. And with the way that Kara um, and Bodji and, and Matt Miazga both left, it was very so acrimonious. They kind of both had their contracts kind of uh, ended. or They're both loans, I think. Kara went back to, to Anderlecht and Matt Miazga to Chelsea and, of course, on loan to Reading from there. So they needed a GEA in there as, as just as a reserve. I, I agree with you that he was sort of quite consistent-ish Leo last season, but has fallen off this year, and I don't think he's going to be supplanting Nicola Powell or Diego Carlos anytime soon. Um, but I really like the signing of Valentin Esterich. I think um, he's an experienced and proven league and player. Still only twenty six. Okay, I think it's a loan uh, from from Fiorentina until the end of the season, yes. rather than a permanent yeah. deal. Um, but um, perhaps there might be the, the, the opportunity to either get him again on loan next season or to sign him permanently in the summer if he does well. Because um, he, he's you know been at Sanetien, he was a little bit in and out of the team at Sanetien, but but very good. Went on his day, he was he can be a little bit wayward, but it, it, on his day at Sanetien was very good. And then uh, uh, Nice under Lucien Favre, he was particularly good and, and one of their sort of standout players at times uh, for them. And, and he had a really good start to Fiorentina. Well, at Fiorentina, well, there was a period of Fiorentina when he was playing very well and. For a club like Nantes, 
with their squad sort of thinning, you know, he's a, he's a really valuable addition and the type of player that they don't really have. Perhaps the closest is, is Gabriel Pashilia, but for some reason, uh, Vahid Halodzic doesn't really fancy Pashilia. He's been, he had a little injury and then he has only started one of the last five games and he's sort of fallen out of the team. And there was a period when Cardoza left when he looked like he was really going to kick on because I, I like Pashilia. I think he's a talented player, but didn't, didn't really pan out. So perhaps Esrik fills that little void. So yeah, Two two worthwhile and needed signings for for Nantes. Absolutely, and uh, some interesting ones further down as well. We've spoken about Rance's moves. Uh, Ren have brought in a few uh, loan players as well, as well that to sort of bolster ranks a little bit. But I briefly mentioned Lever earlier. Uh, Jez, they've brought in two midfielders on loan and allowed Dioisi to head out on loan as well. To just, back to uh, Italy at uh, Kievo to get some game time, but brought in Valentin Vada, who's been, been good in previously with Bordeaux, but has sort of drifted out of the team this season. And, and Ike Benesir, who's been was good at Conlon loan last season, had had okay spells for Monaco early this season when they needed a defensive midfielder. Um, two players that maybe add to that bone, especially with the, the rumours that Omele Selnesh was, was looking at a move um, during January, and even Chinese interest as well maybe might sort of drifting away before their deadline, which is late February as well, um, although we might be angling for somewhere come summertime as well. It, it's a good idea for them to bring in a couple of midfield replacements as well as players that maybe they look at in the summer if they do come available. Yeah, I think bringing the two in possibly is some kind of cover in case, you know, either, either, Sonis, either they agree to let him go or he goes on some kind of strike or something. He clearly, he clearly wants to leave. But the two that they brought in, I think, are you know, really accomplished midfielders. Um, always like Bada Bordeaux, and I was surprised that he was kind of not more of a consistent fixture in the team. But um, I think he, he did well there when he was given the chance. And Ait Ben is one of those players who, in his breakout season at Nossi, albeit he looked absolutely awesome. He hasn't quite um, sort of continue that that sort of upward trajectory you know, signed by Monaco and then back to Marseille and did okay but they were struggling this season um, as you said did Carr just thought it's almost <laughs> no offence to any Carr fans listening but just it feels like everything about the club is the club is sort of okay but average and you know even the most talented players kind of eventually retreat back to average as well so maybe that wasn't entirely the best place for him. As you said, I do think he, he, you know, it was great to see him being given a chance at Monaco and, and at times really did look like he was going to make a starting place his own, but it hasn't quite worked out. So I think I'm sort of quite excited about this move because it's not um, uh, a sort of downward move like the other two have been in order to get games. This is well, based on this season, certainly uh, an upward move of anything. It would be great to see whether he manages to establish himself in, in the Saturday team and with better players around him. I think he really could thrive. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And so the final tidbit I wanted to mention as well, that uh, Toribo had announced his move to Barcelona was going to happen in the summer, but Barcelona have sort of given a bit of a nudge to move that forward, really, with Toribo going to Spain now for them. Do you think that's the right move for the player? I know he wasn't exactly always getting game time at Toulouse at the moment because of this move and the, and the way it's gone about. But at the same time, it, he's not really going to get game time, I can't imagine, at Barcelona uh, from now until the summer. And even then, he's maybe going to be a bit pop player next season. So 
was it the right idea for the player to be moving now and not spending the next six months in France at least getting some actual game time under his belt? Yeah, I think I think for, if it was all things being equal, I think he would have. Well, I, I, I think all things being equal, the, the sensible course of action would have been for him as for his development. This is is to stay in France for not just the rest of the season, but at least one more season as well. He'd only played ten senior games with Toulouse and come come out of nowhere. But obviously, there are a number of caveats to that to that statement. First of all, that the player had. Was only on a youth contract and and had turned down a, a a full contract, which meant his youth contract would have been up in the summer, and he could have gone wherever he wherever he chose. And and obviously, given the way that he'd been sort of parachuted into the team and, and Toulouse had, had developed him, and uh, Olivier Sudden, the, the president, wasn't happy about that. Um, and uh, I, whether you agree with that decision or not, to sort of exile him from the first team, you know, you can understand his his frustration at at, at that sort of course of uh, that course of action that the player took having played just 10 games with them and you know he was already getting interest from napoli and stuff and i can understand but then you can you from from to point of view you know you you you're, you want to develop your career and 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 i can understand why he would have angled for a move perhaps doing it so aggressively it was it was perhaps a mistake but he's turned up at barcelona so it's kind of you could argue that it's it's panned out okay for him and he, he i think from barcelona's point of view they were worried about his development going ahead because Toulouse are pretty clear they weren't going to play him for the rest of the season. And he would just sit on the bench or well, not even on the bench in, in the stands or away from the ground, not playing even for the CFR team. Um, so it, it would have really stunted his development that started so, so wonderfully. So he may be playing for the, for Barca B, but for the rest of the season, perhaps or maybe getting more games than anyone for the first team, but for his development as an individual and as a player over the next five, five, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, it, it makes sense for him to be playing consistent football now whereas Toulouse weren't going to be giving that to him so I think um, given the situation as it had panned out it made sense for him to, to go to Barca now and even if he's not playing for the first team he's an extremely talented player I'm, I'm upset that he's left because he's he, he was brilliant for Toulouse it was so exciting to see him come through but for, for him personally I think it, it makes sense for him to go to Barca now even if he's playing for Barca B. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a bother by the player, but you can also understand why Toulouse have sort of not done anything on that one because they're not getting any return on this. So why why should they really yeah. uh, mm. take any bother in it anymore? Uh, before we end it, let's do our uh, Liga snapshots. We can just about squeeze them in this evening. And I'll start with yourself, Jez. Um, what's your Liga snapshot this week? Um, I'm going to go back to where we started. I thought, um, I think uh, officially... Dembele was made man of the match in uh, for, for Lyon, but I thought Denier was absolutely all, immense all match. And his his flying goal line headed clearance, I think, in the last minute of the, of the first half to, to keep it level going into half time was spectacular. And, and the way Lopez sort of jumped on top of him to, to congratulate him or thank him for, for keeping the ball out, I, I just really enjoyed that. Adam, what's your league snapshot? Very briefly, I, I sort of wanted to touch on the the, the ownership situation at Nice. I, I'm just because I think it's something that is going to be a really interesting subplot for the rest of the for, for the for the season. Um, 
and obviously we haven't got too much time because we're sort of cutting to the pod, but just just for, for our listeners to sort of keep an eye on, on how it pans out, because uh, just as a sort of brief overview, the, the, the club were extremely well run, as, as we've seen in recent times, under Lucien Favre and, and Claude Puel by by Jean-Pierre Rivière and, and Julian Fournier, who are the, the, the sort of the, the guys in charge of um, sort of the general, the general manager and the, the I think the president of the club. And they did extremely well to develop them as, as an entity, uh, to develop the academy, bring young players in and reinvest the money that they made from transfers, which was substantial um, it, it back into the club. And, you know, there was there was a snowball effect at Nice that they, they were really developing under Puel and then really kicked on under 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 Favre and they uh, and they they were looking for investors and and they 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 found a group of investors in the American Chinese kind of consortium who were also uh, part of Barnsley and uh, or they have a, a stake in Barnsley as well and they sort of became decision makers for on on transfers when uh, Jim Fournier in particular was very sort of sharp in his business and managed to sign players sort of uh, very sort of astutely and and the scouting was fantastic um, but unfortunately. There seems to be in a shift away from from the model that works so well under Riviera and Fournier to uh, a hyped up model of the the Monaco situation in the summer, where they're sort of turning down the experienced players, vetoing experienced players that were, were proposed to them, like Riyad Boudabous, uh Eunice Belhanda, those players who would have come in to be like really good mentors to the young players that they're signing to, and it, it kind of feels to me that. Um, now that Riviera and Fournier have decided to leave because of the, the situation that's developed, that, that Nisa have sort of been left without their, their two sort of guiding lights, if you like, who've done so well to develop the team. And Patrick Vieira's left, having been a, a, their man, having been Riviera and Fournier's man, is sort of left in isolation. And, and it's sort of sort of caving in on him a little bit because he'd he done well to sort of settle the team down and get them get them getting results not playing particularly good football but they're getting results and he's sort of been denied the quality that he really needs to be bringing into the team like those players I mentioned because it just feels like that the, the guys now in charge are there to simply make money off players and and the, the bringing the they sort of focus on bringing those young players in and they want to sell them on which we've seen what I've seen Monaco make so much make so much profit by doing that but they're, they're sort of lacking the balance. And it's really worrying if you're a Nice fan and if you're invested in the club, um, where this could end up because it, it, it seems to become a little bit of, of a vehicle for just for selling on players, which which is, is from my book, not the right way to go about things, even though it's very important to develop young players and you can understand that model. It, it feels like it's sort of gone a little bit too far. And I just think it could be, a, it, it, obviously there's a, lot, a long way to go, but it, I just worry that it could be a bit of a cautionary tale for, for other teams who follow a very similar model. To, 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 they've got to be a little bit more sort of uh, astute about the way they go about building a team and a squad. And I, I just wanted to highlight that just in case, you know, they, they start to draw off and, and they have a very interesting summer window where they don't bring in that experience that they, they really need and that Monaco have lacked so poorly so badly that so far this season so nice uh hopefully will uh will find a way to to bring back the magic of of, of fournier and rivier who did so brilliantly to develop the club i think on, on that we talked about um you know how how marseille are lacking a striker but nice have been desperate for one this season and, and you look at their transfers this this uh this window and there's just there's nothing there basically it's yeah. just balotelli out nothing else and you know, I do think Vieira's done a really good job in a relatively tough situation this season. But yeah, as, as Adam said, he's not being backed. And the concern is that, that he is going to be a little bit isolated and, and you're worried for his position um, through no fault of his own. 
Yeah, and then you also think that, given that he has done a pretty good job, given that they they have, other than the battering, really, they got on Friday night, they've been pretty um, sturdy this season, that other teams may be having yeah. a look at him and thinking of maybe prizing him away from a, a tougher situation. I think my, my uh, Liga snapshot this week it is a pretty easy one, really, and it includes the, the Premier League as well, because the tributes to uh, Emiliano Sala this week, both in in midweek against Saint-Étienne, were absolutely wonderful across France as well and the, the scenes we saw in Cardiff as well uh, I mean you could see how much the player meant to to the, those around him it was great to see the Salah shirts in, in that game against Saint-Étienne midweek but also you could see just the not just the emotion I'm sure very a lot of the English fans saw um, on Neil Warnock's face at the end of that Cardiff game, but also the uh, Halil Hodzic as well. But uh, during that that sort of seven, uh, the I can't remember. It's very early on, wasn't it? It was his shirt number minute. They they brought the it's game. Ninth minute. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and uh, the workout, most heartbreaking ones. Yassine Banu before yeah. the match, just bawling his eyes out. It was really really heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you could see it, it had a Halil Hodzic and it hit the players as well, and uh, um, a really sad end. Uh, I, I'm at least in a, in a, in a kind of way, glad that the the search has sort of gone on and they found the plane. And uh, while we don't fully have confirmation yet, there 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 seems to be at least some kind of closure for the family in terms of his his whereabouts. But obviously, the sort of investigation into what's happened and why it's happened and, and the inquest that will go into that I suppose it will, will drain on but uh, our thoughts are, are still with his family and at this time and it was beautiful to see them so respectfully uh, um, tributed over the weekend as well it was great to see. Uh, that's all that we have time for this week. My thanks to Adam Jess and all of you listening at home. Uh, do join us for the preview show on Thursday and the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.